Holy fuck. Ah! There's a fucking wasp. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Is it gone? Uh, it's further away. Yeah, I'll keep an eye on it. Should be fine. Welcome to Shallow Dive, where three university friends talk about random subjects and, yeah, have a good time. Because we don't have ads, instead you have to suffer through shitty intros. Until the day we have ads. Until the day we have ads, then, we, then we'll put on, like, good intro. Yeah, so to, to all the... To all the yeah. desperate businesses that are struggling for advertising, <laughs> you know, we are available. This week so we're doing give us a call. Scandals slash scams. So interesting stuff. Uh, Clayton, would you like to get us started? So my scam is kind of, uh, kind of weak sauce, but it's an interesting story nonetheless. So the year is 1906. American explorer. Robert Peary just returned home from his fifth Arctic expedition. This time, he was only 280 kilometers away from the North Pole, but he was forced to turn back because of storm and lack of supply. So Peary immediately began to plan for another voyage, and he needed money. So he went to one of his previous backer, San Francisco uh, financier George Crocker, uh, he donated 50000 in a previous voyage, but his most recent voyage achieved, like, not a whole lot. So it's, like, it's a bit of a hard sell. Uh, it's going to be a bit hard to convince Crocker to cough out uh, the 50 k again. So Peary decided to name an island after Crocker. The most recent voyage didn't achieve a whole lot, but he did spot an island 210 kilometers away from Cape Thomas Hubbard one of the most northern parts of Canada. So Peary named this island Crockerland in honor of George Crocker because rich people like to have things and buildings and lands named after them. But it wouldn't matter because George Crocker spends most of his resource uh, to, help the, uh, to help San Francisco to rebuild after the 1906 earthquake. And he was not in a position to, to help funding Robert Peary. Anyway... Peary did secure funding, but this time from the National Geographic Society. And once again, he set sail for the North Pole. On April 6, 1909, he finally stood on the North Pole and wrote in his journal, The Pole at last, the prize of three centuries, my dream and ambition for 23 years, mine at last. So he returned home only to find out that another explorer, Frederick Cook, had reached North Pole a full year earlier. Back then, nobody has like, you know, good record of anything and no one can actually prove anything. So uh, when Robert Peary landed on the North Pole, like it's kind of hard to prove that he actually did land on the North Pole. So when he returned home to find out another explorer, Frederick Cook, you know, arrived at North Pole a full year earlier. It's like both sides are kind of like arguing. It's like who, like who actually did land on North Pole because the pictures they took, it's just like, you know, it could just be any pile of snow. It, you know, it's, you can't prove that that's the North Pole. So either way, supporter of both sides just kind of arguing each other and like basically tweeting up a storm. Uh, the main point of contention was that Frederick Cook uh, so the guy, the explorer that claimed to have landed on the North Pole a year earlier, he he claimed that the route that he took, he should he should see Crocker Land on the way, like according to the route that he 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 uh he took, but he didn't see anything, so one of them is lying. So either Robert Peary lied about the existence of Crocker Land. Or Frederick Cook lied about the route and therefore lied about reaching the North Pole first. So, supporter of both sides just argue and argue. There's no, there's no way of like proving, you know, who's right and who's wrong, until uh, Donald McMillan, one of uh, one of Robert Peary's assistant from one of his previous expedition, like he decided, you know, to shut Frederick Cook once and for all. He decided to lead an expedition to prove the existence of Crocker Land. 
So he set sail for Crockerland in July 1913, and his team was well stocked. He, uh, they even brought a, a wireless broadcasting equipment with a plan to make, uh, make radio broadcasts live to the United States from the island. Oh wait, sorry, sorry to interrupt. How big was this island again? Uh, the the it's big enough. Like it's like it's. Uh, like is it just like a small little? It's not like... small. Oh okay. It's like on the map because it was actually marked on the map as well. Of uh, map a map from like a like mark on the map from back in the days, and it's like almost it's like slightly smaller than Iceland. Okay, so it's like fairly substantial. I just wasn't sure if it was just like one of those like tiny little nope islands oh, in the yeah. Arctic. Or something. <laughs> okay, nope, it's not one of those islands that China claims in South China Sea. <laughs> not one of those and, and and on the map it says like seen by puri 1906 yeah, that something scary. like that so so it's it was sounds marked a on the map fishy. Sounds, sounds a little bit fishy sounds a bit scammy um so so donald mcmillan decided to set sail for crockerland in july 1913 but almost immediately the expedition encountered encountered problems the ship was <laughs> was wrecked on the way to greenland by the allegedly drunken captain. So Macmillan was forced to switch ship. And by early 1914, the sea was frozen and Macmillan decided to attempt like a 1900 kilometers, like 1900 <laughs> kilometers from Greenland to Crockerland. This guy just, is just so determined damn. to be proven right. It's uh, and ridiculous. It's, no, 1900 kilometers. In the Arctic Circle, <laughs> like that's crazy. Like who? It, it's just it. It's stupid. Anyways, Macmillan's team they search everywhere. He even wrote in his book, uh, "You can imagine how earnestly we scanned every foot of that horizon, and not a thing in sight." But a discovery one day did bring hope to the team. So the team's engineer and physicist Fitzhugh Green. He spotted something. Uh, he spotted hills, lands, and snow-capped peak. But long story short, it turned out to be a mirage. I, I, I don't actually... I'm not like 100% sure how mirage is supposed to work, but it's something like the sun on something and then reflected image onto the sea back from like... Because of like sun scattered and flat land or this and that, like mm-hmm. it, it is possible to reflect image from mainland onto the sea. But then, without the sun, you won't be able to reflect anything. So the so so the image, like the uh, mirage, would disappear at night, and that's basically how they figure out that it's not a real island. Like it's just mist. Like it's mirage. So Macmillan's team was forced to accept the result and then turn back. He wrote in his journal, "My dreams of the of the last four years were merely dreams. My hopes had ended in bitter disappointment." So. Case closed, right? Uh, neither Robert Peary nor Frederick Cook, uh, nor Frederick Cook lied. So Frederick Cook was the first person landed in North Pole, and he did when you know went past, like went through Crockerland because Crockerland isn't isn't real. So he did went through that, but Robert Peary didn't lie. It was a it was it was it was a mirage. Like it was a mistake, hmm. and he he just thought he just thought they were land. But surely he wouldn't make this mistake, right? Robert Peary, he was, uh, when he discovered Crockerland, it was his fifth journey. He, it was his fifth expedition. And he was like, and he yeah. was an experienced Navy uh, admiral before that. So, like, you would think that he would, like, verify it or something other than crazy. just seeing it in the distance. You know, yeah, like if you have the, you know, when you try to get closer and verify, if you're gonna make a claim of like this land, Crocker land, da da da, like like like, you know, coming out guns blazing and be like, I found it. So I would have thought he would have stepped on it or something at least. Like, no, he just saw it from afar. Like he just saw it from afar. Thought he's gonna like you know stick a flag in it or something. Like come on, something is something 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 is smelly. And this is exactly what historians found later in the 1980s. Uh, the National Geographic Society did some study about the whole thing and basically found out that 
uh, Robert Peary did not make a mistake. He purposefully invented Crockerland to try to scam George mm-hmm. Crocker, who ended up to even pay him anyway. Like, <laughs> oh, man. The scam did not work. So they found Robert Peary, like, not only did he not mention anything, like, in his journal on the day that he supposedly discovered Crockerland, like, according to his journal, he basically just climbed up some rock and then climbed back down, like, on, on the day that he supposedly discovered uh, Crockerland. And also, in the original draft of his book in 1907, there was no mention of Crockerland, but the paragraph just magically, like the paragraphs about Crockerland just kind of magically appear in his book just before it was released. So yeah, uh, there were many lies told throughout history and historians decided to expose him. Comparing to everything, every terrible thing, any other terrible thing that happened, I feel like this is rather mild. But yeah, uh, historians decided to bust him and uh, his reputation is, well, it's not ruined because like, I didn't even know Robert Peary existed until yeah. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, so. but still. But for um, those who know, his legacy's tarnished for sure. The funny thing is, the CIA, uh, their main training facility is called, uh, well, the nickname, The Farm. And the real name is like Peary Practice Compound or whatever. <laughs> and it's like, and it's named after Robert yeah, Peary. Yeah, Tyrion's statue. Like, huh. ah, so nobody seems to give a shit that he lied. Um, yeah. This is just not important. <laughs> yeah, this is just not important enough to to bother anyone. <laughs> so yeah, this is a, a bit of a weak sauce scam, but it's kind of an interesting story nonetheless. No, that was cool. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah that was interesting. I was thinking about doing some of those, like you know, when the New World was first discovered, like a lot of European explorers sold land to like European aristocracy. Yeah, I read about and, some and- of those. And it's just like mm. invented or, or like completely wrong description of the island. They say like, oh, it's the paradise out here. Da, 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 and it's like a fucking jungle. Like, uh, so, so those are those scams. I was thinking about doing one of those, but, uh, I, but yeah. this one is kind of interesting. too. I so. read about a Scottish guy who did that in South America and he sold like a bunch of property when like after the Spanish had first uh, arrived in uh, Latin America. And yeah, he sold like all these properties saying it was like, rich with like all these uh you know gold and all these resources and stuff and then people came to their properties and it was like you're saying it was literally just a jungle so yeah and it's not like when you buy like a piece of jungle nowadays in florida you know you thought you're buying something amazing but turns out after two days journey you know two day drive or you know taking a flight to florida it's like oh this piece of shit it's like a voyage (laughs) from europe it's like a couple months like three to four months only come over here like what the fuck be so like, disappointed. So dis- yeah, so disappointed. The the funny thing about like um all the exploration stuff, especially yeah, like early nineteen hundreds, like late eighteen hundreds, um, these guys were just so competitive too. Like I feel like they I mean, you must be pretty crazy to do that, but like it was kind of like a space race or something, or an arms race. All these people are just like, oh, like climbing up mountains or some shit, right? Like, kind of like, uh, like Emin Hillary. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was just like bragging rights, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it really is bragging rights, and yeah, I get they just went, they went nuts. They didn't do this for <laughs> science. Like they had scientists along, but the dis- like the main no, discoverer, no. like the main dude, didn't care about science. The main dude wanted to be the first dude to land on North Pole. Like, like, yeah, it's it's really just ego and then also i i mean i i guess a lot of it was patriotism too but yeah, yeah. ego even if they found okay. this island like what science what scientific like discoveries could they take away from it it would just be a bunch of like snow and tundra you know but that that wasn't the it's it's hard like nowadays it would be like that because like we we have been north pole already so it's not like okay another another snowy island who cares but like back in the days like literally no one has been there so like you yeah, really had no idea so so it would be the same as yeah, like landing so in landing know. on yeah. the moon and it would be like and like you know a hundred years later it'd be like who cares about landing on that one spot of the moon it's not even that interesting yeah i but, guess they but, didn't know, you know we so. didn't know yeah right yeah yeah so yeah, that was Crockerland. All right, Duncan. So for mine, I'll be talking about this guy, uh, Frank Abagnale Jr., who is a famous American con artist and fraudster. And he actually had a movie made about him called Catch Me If You Can. 
uh, where Leonardo, oh. yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio portrayed uh, portrayed him. Really good movie, by the way. But yeah, Abagnale is interesting because he didn't have like one big scam. Uh, his life at one point was just like one big scam of sorts. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about his life story. Um, but he was a true con artist in the sense that he could just scam and swindle people like no other. It was it's, it's like a lot of the stuff he did was really bad, but it is kind of impressive at the same time. But yeah, anyways, he was born in the Bronx in 1948 and he had like a strict Catholic upbringing and was like just like a pretty, pretty good kid, good student, pretty bright. But his whole world was flipped upside down one day when he was 16 and he was taken out of school and brought to court and informed that his parents were getting a divorce and he had to choose which parent he wanted to take custody over him. Um, So his parents didn't tell him beforehand and now out of nowhere, he was faced with just like, just like an impossible choice. Um, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it really does. Like going through a divorce is probably bad enough, but going through it that way, I can't even yeah. imagine. But yeah, he was overcome with emotion. So he ran out of the courtroom and uh, he just ran away. And he, after that, he never saw his father again, and he wouldn't see his mother again for seven years. Um, what? Yeah, he like. Oh dang! So he really ran away. Yeah, Shit. uh, it was pretty much like shattered his whole worldview, and he was like never quite the same. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of hard though, because while researching for this, there were some sort of like contradictory claims from different sources about his life. But this seems like most people agree, like, this is how it went down. This is how he claimed it went down. But it's also hard because Abignal is, like, not really the most reliable person to rely on for the accounts. Like, he does straight up lie about some stuff, which I'll get to in a bit. He's Um, a con artist. You can't trust his words. Yeah, Yeah, it is pretty hard. Yeah, like, a lot of these guys, like, they just lie. They're just obviously, like, compulsive liars, so finding the truth within it is very hard oh yeah exactly I'll, I'll get to that later but i think that's exactly what it is it's like you can't really like maybe you can catch him or whatever but it, you can never really like sniff out like the, the the con artist out of them completely um yeah but yeah so he was on his own in um new york city and he was 16 so he was just like starting to work like some jobs and just make money and try and fend for himself um but he was having trouble making ends meet so he started to uh forge checks and cash them in at the bank and he had this whole system where he would he he had like everything down like he was really good at it by the end and yeah he was just forging these checks and cashing them in and he did he cashed something like two million dollars worth of forged checks in 26 countries over a span of like five or so years but yeah he was really good at it two million dollars is that like nowadays dollars or like 1950s dollars or at 1960s um i'm actually not sure i wouldn't be surprised if it's uh 1960s dollars so it's probably even more well done i mean not good but well done. <laughs> so yeah, he invented a lot of different identities and he had different aliases. So it was harder to track him down. Um, but once he started forging these checks, he basically became like a full-time con artist and decided to just sort of like scam his way through life. But it's important to keep in mind that he was like 16, 17 years old around this time. So he was sort of just like doing what he could to survive on his own, I guess. Well, he's he, he scammed two million dollars. He's not surviving. He's like thriving. He's, well, he, I, I'm just saying, like this is just at the beginning, right? right, right as it right, went okay. along, it got way <laughs> crazier, which I'll get to. Um. So yeah, he continued to forge checks, and um. Then he moved on to a new scam where he started to impersonate a pilot. He acquired a pilot's uniform from a Pan Am uh, pilot. And so 
there's this thing called deadheading which is basically when an airline needs to bring a pilot to another airport for a flight the airline arranges for that pilot to like fly in the cockpit with the other pilots uh, so right. if a pilot is in Chicago and they're supposed to be flying a plane out of New York, the airline would take that pilot to New York free of charge. So right. just get free lift. Yeah, so he wouldn't fly the plane. Obviously, he was just a like a passenger. Um but he did this like all the time, lying to the airline, saying he was needed at this airport and as a result, he was able to travel like all across the world for free. Dang. Um I should <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like that. yeah, that'd be sweet. I think the thing is though, like the there were different airplane like safety measures at this time. Like this was the sixties. Oh yeah. So I think well, with, you like, could the, basically just walk in as if it was like a bus station. Yeah. Nowadays, you have like the digital databases of like all the information and like the ID verification. Like I don't think you could do this yeah. today. No, 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 no. Yeah. But a hey, 1960s, like, ooh, I guess you could get away yeah. with it. Anything goes. <laughs> yeah. And he was pretty tactical about it at first. Ooh. Foreshadow. Yeah. You'll, you'll, well, I mean, Seth, you've seen the movie, so you know what happens. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, one of his biggest scams was impersonation and he later impersonated a, a chief resident pediatrician at like a hospital in Georgia. Uh, he did this by befriending a physician and lying about his qualifications as a doctor. And this person got him a job supervising interns at the hospital. So he wasn't actually required to do any <laughs> medical work. He was just like a supervisor, all these interns doing shit. And he's just like, yeah, you know, good job and all that. Um, yeah, this one lasted for a bit, but he decided to leave because he thought that he was, like, possibly endangering the lives of some patients because, you know, he had no idea what he was doing. Well, I mean, yeah, no shit. Uh, yeah, only after a while did he think, oh, might be, maybe, you know, maybe I'm hurting patients. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it took him that long to come to that realization. Yeah, but... like, come on. So shortly after that, he forged uh, Harvard Law transcripts and used that to take the bar to become a lawyer. And he passed the bar, I think, on his second or third try and was hired um, at a law firm in Louisiana. But he had to leave after a few months after people found out he was full of shit. <laughs> and that's like a big theme is he sort of has like these scams that he has going for a bit. Then people sort of get suspicious, and then he's gone and on to the yeah. next thing. Um, yeah, this one is kind of weird, but like he used uh, false pretenses to like befriend this woman, and he like moved in with her family. So uh, he met this woman. I think it was through the hospital, and he was uh, she just was being nice and invited him over to dinner once. Uh, and then he like showed up again to to her family's house when she wasn't there, and they took a liking to him and they let him like live there for a bit. And she came back one day and found him living there, and she was totally creeped out. It's like why? Like I barely know this guy, and he's like living with my family. What is going on? Um, and of course, being you know who he is, he defrauded the family that took him in. Of like thousands of dollars f through oh. uh, the use of forged checks. The classic. So, yeah, what a what a nice guy. Um, yeah, that's that's horrible. Yeah, like he, they don't really touch on this too much in the movie. Like they do a bit, but like he just totally took advantage of people's like good nature and trust. Yeah, and yeah, even Abignal admits that the movie is kind of guilty of romanticizing things right. at points. Yeah, he, he he's just got that, like, snake oil salesman <laughs> kind of yeah. like, vibe about him, you know? For sure. Like, he, any any chance he gets, he's gonna take advantage and see if he can get something out of it. Mm -hmm. Literally, yeah. it's like, he, he's, he's fighting for himself. Like, he's not, he's not, like, thinking about anyone else but himself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Yeah. So, 
after all these scams and different sneaky cut, fucker. Yeah, he's a he's really fucking sneaky. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was being pursued by the FBI and Interpol for a bunch of charges ranging from like forgery, fraud, and theft. Uh, and he was uh, eventually arrested in France in 1969 for fraud. And he was only 21 years old. Right. Which is just kind of puts us back yeah. into perspective. It's like, this is like, you know, like at first he's like a child. So wow. he, he's like, he does, he's yeah, young. Crazy. He's kind of just dumb, you know? He yeah. doesn't excuse it, yeah. but it kind of explains it. Yeah. Yeah. And without like, without any like guidance from his parents, without any guidance from like older, I don't know. I guess that's all he know here, or all he knew. Yeah, well, like not all he knew, but like it's not like he worked a regular job. It's not like he went to university or you know had normal friends. Well, didn't really seem like he had many friends. No, not really. Like maybe like some friends briefly until he was on to the next thing. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. he's like moving city to city. Like this, it's like this, like the only thing. And he's lying about everything. Yeah, like this, like his only successful career, quote quote unquote career, is to be like a professional liar. So I guess he was just like, all right, on to the next city and keep on doing this. And probably also just doesn't have a very strong moral compass. Yeah, <laughs> obviously, like no moral compass whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so when when he was in prison in France, he was treated pretty horribly there. I mean, I don't really have too much sympathy for him, but like he was basically like starved and stuff and kept in like this dark Jesus. dingy cellar with like what? no bed even. Um and then after that, he was extradited. Like he served 4 months there and then he was extradited to Sweden to face charges. Spent a few months there and then he was sent to the u.s to face charges so it was like every country was just waiting their turn to like punish <laughs> yeah. this fucking guy he's like doing a world tour of like uh, prison of tour. <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah prison world tour um but when he was sent to the u.s uh he somehow like escaped as he was being tr- uh transported and he like got far like he got to canada and was gonna like booked a flight to like brazil or something but he was uh apprehended again and sentenced to 12 years in federal prison so this guy is just sneaky and just like you if you look away from him from a second he's like gone or he's doing something right so it's crazy but he he must be a very charismatic person yeah he but uh yeah like scammers are like swindlers are very charismatic but like this guy is just like off the chart charismatic he knows how to appeal to people for sure yeah um but and then as after he was sentenced he had another attempt at escape where he got out of the prison and then they caught him again so <laughs> this guy is ridiculous but yeah so he was sentenced to 12 years in federal prison but four years into the sentence the fbi offered uh abignal a, de- a deal like if he was willing to teach the FBI his methods of you know forgery and like how he was able to do all this stuff, they would reduce his sentence. Because I mean, it makes sense. Like if you have somebody who like thinks like a fraudster and a con artist working yeah. for you and helping you, it could be helpful preventing future scams, right? Yeah, Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like recruiting much. Uh, hackers to help you build a better defensive system, right? Because they know how yeah. hacker things. Yeah, they can show like where the vulnerabilities are. Yeah, he was very successful, right? Mil- yeah, two millions yeah. dollars. No, no, no. Sorry, like he was very successful as a as an agent, right? Oh, or, yeah, but yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna get to that. Oh, okay. Um. So yeah, he did like some brief work for the FBI to reduce his sentence, and he was released on parole. And the movie doesn't really talk about this, but. Public records show that after his initial parole ended, he was just like back to like his old tricks. Like he was hired by this um insurance company and soon after he was fired and sued because he tried to cash forge checks during the employee training. <laughs> yeah, at the employee training. He couldn't just wait a bit. Oh. Yeah. I think he just like can't help himself. Yeah, yeah, that's what it seems. He, like he really just can't help himself. Um, 
He was also allegedly arrested for trying to steal from a children's what? summer camp. Yeah, what's uh, worth? Like, what's, what are you like, doing, there's man? Nothing like, in a children's summer camp that's worth getting arrested over. Like, what are you trying to steal? Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But when Abignell talks about him or his his life, he kind of gl- glosses over that period and makes it seem like you know, as soon as I was out of prison, I was. Uh, you know, straight to the FBI, but it was like, <laughs> nah, man, when you were still doing the same stuff for a bit. Um, but he was reacquainted with the FBI and was hired to work for them. Um, and he's now he's worked for them for like over 40 years, focusing on preventing fraud. And a lot of his work focuses on like cybersecurity stuff now. So I, eventually he did kind of get his shit together and realize like, okay, I like can't keep doing this shit. And he does, I watched a speech from him, and to be fair, he does have a lot of regret about his past. Uh, He doesn't try and make it seem like he was this amazing guy, but he also doesn't tell the truth about some stuff as well, I've noticed. (laughs) Um, Really? But it's just (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what a surprise. But it's just kind of confusing because some writers have published books and articles claiming that a lot of his story isn't true oh. um, and that he was just like a petty thief. Uh, and then Abignell's story is kind of like over the top at times. So I think the truth is sort of like somewhere in between, I guess. Probably. A lot of things like that. Like the, 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 he said, he said like, Oh, I've never once defrauded an ordinary person or small business. That's just, but that's like, just straight up that's, lie. That's just not true. Like that family. Yeah, he defrauded that family. So like some of the stuff he says is just bullshit. But yeah, I mean, it's good that at least he could turn his life around and yeah. use his knowledge of fraud and scams for good, I guess. Is he still alive? Yeah, he's oh. well, he's still working with the FBI. Oh, wow. Oh. Okay. Like he's like in his seventies. Do you know if that wedding scene? Do you know if that was real? Like when he oh, like him getting married? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he didn't actually get married then. Oh, okay. Uh, that was a really good scene. Yeah, no, it is. Like the the movie is the movie's fair fairly accurate, but there's some things that they kind of changed. Right. Yeah. What's the name of the movie? Uh, catch me if you can. Catch me if you oh, can. right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, Seth, you want to take okay. it away? Yeah, so uh, I'm going to be doing Brie X, um, B-R-E-X, and this was a mining scandal, which is kind of funny because, uh, Duncan, a few of our friends are like really into rocks and mining and, <laughs> and stuff, like gold panning and that kind of shit. Yeah, um, I, 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 like, I kind of like that stuff too. It's cool. It's cool. I don't know if they're I a little like, crazy, but yeah, yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah, they're a bit intense. Yeah, there's this. Uh, I, this thing's kind of similar, but not really. I want to try, um, like not now, but I want to try doing those things where you like use a metal detector and you just like walk around in a like woods, beach, or beach oh, or yeah. woods, and, and there would just be like metal on the ground, and it could be like somebody's keys you know like something. somebody's like yieldy time something whatever yeah it could be fun um, i want to i want to get a dog that can sniff out truffles that would be the best <laughs> you gotta train him truffles um, are, are worth so much but anyways so yeah my uh my scandal is actually also was also turned into a movie starring matthew mcconaughey um so right, right, you right. know it's gonna be a good scandal <laughs> yeah, so uh, Michael de Guzman was a like young geologist. He was a prospector. Um, he was from a very Catholic home in uh, the Philippines. And uh, he started doing some prospecting work in Indonesia where it's believed that there's large pockets of gold because of all the volcanoes there. So like... The theory is, is when the volcanoes were formed and like went above ground, um, it like created so much heat and I don't know, rocks came up or whatever. Anyways, 
<laughs> nice try. Yeah, that was that was probably you, the you, worst explanation. <laughs> At least you came I, up I, with some. Yeah, I, I probably should have gone to Wikipedia and just read it off Wikipedia because that that would, that would probably be better. Um, but yeah, there's rocks and stuff, and some of them are cool, and some of them are worth Valuable, money, yeah. including gold. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there we go. We got there. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, Michael de Guzman's been looking for gold for quite some time, and he goes to Rambusang in Indonesia, basically in the heart of the jungle. Like, there's nothing there, you know. Um, and he starts like prospecting around where this old Australian uh, mining company had already mined, like in that area, and they weren't very successful. They hadn't found much gold. However, he thought, okay, there must be gold around here. Uh, like gold panning was is pretty successful in that area. But he hooks up with this guy, John Felderhoff, and yeah, sorry, like I guess partners up, not hooks up. Sounded a little odd, but um, <laughs> maybe they did. I don't know. But but yeah, so uh, John Felderhoff is is uh, quite a respected prospector uh in the in in the community and he has this friend david walsh who's from calgary alberta and david walsh is also like somewhat of a prospector he he basically hypes up or he basically like gets stocks to grow uh but he was like he was in the mining business but um get what to grow sorry sorry uh well stocks but but he he oh. he like he was an investor, so he'd invest in mining in mining oh, expeditions. Okay, okay, okay. Because as you can imagine, like like that costs a lot of money to dig stuff out of the ground, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it it it, it the drills cost so much, and you know a lot of the time, yeah. Like like with this, they're out in the middle of nowhere, right? So yeah, getting ha- like, getting it all there. That's yeah. Have you seen like I mean obviously you have like those like offshore oil rig? It's like yeah. How who the how the fuck do you build some like a structure that massive in the middle of the ocean? Well, okay, not middle of the ocean, but like yeah, like in far away from the coast. Yeah, yeah, far, like, yeah. And, and, yeah, and it's, it's crazy. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, in the early nineties, um, uh, David Walsh is like pretty much bankrupt. All these projects have failed. He kind of isn't, you know, living the life. He's a chain smoker. He drinks a lot. <laughs> and there seems to be a theme. Like, a lot of these guys are just, like, drunks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, not surprising. But, yeah, so he had his, like, literally this uh, small basement office in his Alberta, or, like, yeah, Calgary, Alberta, basement um and that's where he works out of uh but he he gets enough people to like really get into Briex because de guzman has found a lot of gold in their initial prospecting mission with felderhoff so they have just enough money to get uh to get this going and they find all this gold is Briex the name of the company Yes, Rex is the name of the company. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So De Guzman finds all this gold and they're all like super happy. Uh and the stock price starts jumping from like it, it started as a penny stock. It was worth 30 cents. Like you could buy a share for 30 cents. Right. Um and it started jumping to like $8, $10. Oh shit. Oh yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, it went crazy. But these are like the initial samples, right? So they're thinking, okay, yeah, there's definitely a lot of gold here. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so the gold is there. They want to get it out. They they thought or well, they said that there was like up to two hundred million ounces of gold in the area, which is like ridiculous. Oh. That's like yeah, that's something like forty percent of the gold in the world, or something like Ooh. like that's been discovered, right? Obviously, there's gold 
right, right, right. everywhere that hasn't yeah. been discovered. Yeah. Um, but they, they thought they had struck big. Like they're saying that this is, uh, that this was like the biggest gold dis- discovery ever in human history. So people start jumping onto it and the stock eventually rises to $250 a share. Yeah. So a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, however, it's all a scam. Uh, Michael de Guzman has been shaving off his gold wedding ring into the initial uh, into the initial finds, and then later spent about sixty thousand uh, dollars in total buying gold from gold panners. So that wow. like this is a process called salting. Like, and he was placing it at, like, the site? Yeah, yeah. So basically or- what he was doing was once they took out the samples, he would, like, before anyone would check, he would salt them. That's what it's called when you when you forge uh, the mineral, yeah, the, the mineral sample. And he, yeah, so, like, within the sample, he would just put a bunch of gold that he either bought or was shaving off his wedding, wedding ring. <laughs> oh, my God. So So it's not like there were... Like some gold. There was like a tiny bit of gold in their initial prospecting. There was like a tiny bit of gold, but they didn't have enough money to sustain it because of the lack of investors. And then all of a sudden, like right before the like reality of them having to close down goes through, it's just like, oh yeah, I magically found gold. So it's fishy the whole way through. <laughs> and 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 people like who were who were part of the site now, but that didn't know, like that were part of the project, were like, oh yeah, thinking back on it, that was kind of fucked. Like we should have known way earlier, right? But that everyone everyone's got the gold rush, and and they they just don't think they're like, holy shit, there's all this gold. Uh, let's get it, let's get it, let's get it. Anyways, but the Lehman Brothers in 1996 promote it as the gold discovery of the century and uh, are telling people to invest in it. So people are investing like a lot of money. Like people are putting their life savings into this thing because they think it's a sure thing, right? And they're just, you know, going to get a massive return on their investment. Wait, so so <clears throat> were laymen in part of the scam or no. were they also victim? No, yeah, they were victims, yeah. Yeah, they were just, th- this was like oh, totally upsetting. However, in 1997, uh, the Indonesian government, they get a little like kind of pissed off. They're like, eh, you guys aren't doing it right. And they also want, they want a peace, right? Like, oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, of course. Well, why, they should be entitled to something. Yeah, yeah. Well, they already like, were. It's on their land. They right? already were. Like, like they were getting paid for it, right? Um, for like the uh, lease of yeah. the land. And another company, like another prospecting company, wants a piece too. And they're larger. They're like a very large prospecting company, uh, Freeport. So they, they, they get in cahoots with the uh, Indonesian government and basically force their way in. And it, it became a merger. So Briex didn't mm. own all of it. I think, I think Freeport got 15% of, uh, of, of the project. But... They want to see, like, they want to do their own tests, right? They're like, oh, man, we got to check this out. And so, yeah, in 97, they go out uh, and they're doing their initial um, their initial tests, their initial samples, and they bring Michael de Guzman to the project site in a helicopter from the nearby town. Like, you had to heli in. That's how remote this place was. Anyways... Michael de Guzman doesn't get out of the helicopter. He dies. He falls from the helicopter to his death. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. So. What? Wait, like, did he act? Did he actually yeah. fall? Yeah. Or? So. Oh, was that so murder? There's, there's, um, there are a lot of theories. Some people think it was murder. Most people think that it was a fake suicide. So a murder then, like so a so it's a homicide. No, 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 no. He faked his own death, and he's still around. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry, oh, sorry, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. I should explain that better. 
Yeah, it's it's just it it just sounds fishy. Yeah, he just oh he just falls out of the helicopter like yeah. come on now I don't know about the, that one. So the body was not this. Was so not the body recovered was recovered, but it was deep in the Indonesian bush. So it took them forever to find it, right? And then once they did find it, okay. uh, the face and the body had been so mangled by uh, by like animals that were feeding off him. Yeah, so like basically they they think that like wild hogs had eaten most of his face and like a lot of his body. So they weren't actually able to identify him. I bet they could if they want. Like DNA. Yeah, yeah, but uh yeah, there was like I there was zero identification. I call yeah, bullshit on I, that. I mean, uh, I, anyways. I don't disagree with you, but they never identified him. That's I guess the right. the point, right? So no one yeah, no one has confirmed that he is that he is dead. And then also, like people claim to have seen him. Um, now that's I don't know. That might just be bullshit. That's almost definitely bullshit. Uh, apparently, one of his one of his wives. Oh yeah, he had four wives and nine kids. None of the wives knew about it either. And like a week before he died, he proposed to uh, a stripper in Toronto that he had known for like. <laughs> 10 days <laughs> yeah uh, okay <laughs> but the suicide note that he left uh was saying that like his hepatitis b which he had contracted like i don't know six months earlier i think um but his suicide note said that uh it was because of the hep b he's like oh i can't live on like this however he was Damn. he was going to the strip club that's, every single night and one one guy that was like kind of part of the project said that he saw him at an event with hookers like three days before he's got like his arm around like three hookers (laughs) so it doesn't really seem (laughs) like he's like you know dying of guilt um yeah Yeah, but but there was also like a, a a suicide attempt before or seemingly a suicide attempt where he he had to get clothes, uh, like borrow clothes from his friends because in the hotel room he had drank uh a like a whole um like a whole bottle of codeine like cough syrup and almost overdosed and then like uh fell in a bat in the in his bath so like his clothes were all bloody and stuff. Wait, it's just so weird. The plot is really thick all of a sudden. Like the yeah, plot's really yeah, it's, thick. It's crazy. The, and and imagine being the passengers of the, yeah. of the helicopter too. It's like, whoa, dude's just jumping well, out. I, th- I think <laughs> it. I think it was just him and the pilot. So, like, but but the. <laughs> So the pilot's like, yeah. "What are you doing? What well, are you the doing?" Pilot what said that, uh, the pilot <laughs> said that he just heard the uh, the door fly open, and that was it. Like when he died, Bree X said that he died by accident because of the door malfunction. But I mean, that's obviously bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, the stock tumbles. Of course, like they think that they can maintain it, like David Walsh and John Felderhoff. They think that they can, you know, still scrape some stuff out of it. Because everyone's, this is just like a huge hoopla, right? They're like, holy shit, like all my money's in this. And the main guy just died of suicide. Like this doesn't look good. So people start to uh, pull out, including David Walsh and John Felderhoff, who sell all their shares right before Freeport comes back with their initial samples and say there's no gold, like absolutely no gold. Oh, oh, I mean, obviously, inside the inside the trader. Yeah, insider trader. Yeah. yeah, David Walsh. Yeah, David Walsh says that he's he's innocent and he like he didn't know. Uh, oh. but I don't know. That seems yeah. My ass also like that seems that. a little yeah. I mean, like it does make sense. Like like it was at its peak, so it would make sense for them to sell it. But at the same time, like it, it seems like BS, especially them selling it like so so soon between each other um yeah so michael de guzman's dead people literally have all their money in this and a lot of people i i don't know how many but there is a lot of people that died of suicide because like literally everything was gone right 
So it wasn't just Michael de Guzman. A lot of people within Pre-X committed suicide. Oh, um, shit. And David Walsh died not that long after. It was like a year and a half after. However, he died of a brain aneurysm. Really? Or? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he also he also went to the Cayman Islands, which makes it like, mm, dude, what? And they couldn't extradite him. Uh, so this is the crazy thing. No one got charged. What? No one got charged for BX. So he didn't die. Yeah. So he didn't die in the States. Like he died in somewhere else. Uh, well, it, like they were, they were located, located out of Calgary. How but, could, um, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, right. He, so he, I, just, I can't believe like there was no charges whatsoever. So John Felderhoff, John Felderhoff got, he, he did get charged with insider trading. Okay. But he, he, he got off with nothing. What? Which is insane. Like the, the RCMP, like. They they charged him and he did go through a trial, but that was it. What? What That's, kind of kangaroo yeah. court was this? Yeah, <laughs> like dude, so I, it's like cut man. and dry. Oh man. Yeah, yeah, like three billion dollars. Uh, like was in this stock. Like that's how much. Jesus. People, like in total, people lost three billion dollars. And also. Like, insider trading is probably the easiest one to nail them. But, like, also, how about grand fraudery or whatever, like, yeah, grand conspiracy, yeah. right? Like, that's... What the... Okay, I mean... Yeah, insane. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's basically... That's basically the end of it. But, you know, it's kind of funny. The reason I did this uh, is because I was talking to, like, one of my friends that I worked with earlier... So he was telling me about Brie X and I was like, man, what is this? He, he tells me all about it. And so he's from Calgary and apparently one of his really good friends was dating the daughter of, um, he didn't know who, but, uh, like one of the large players in Brie X oh, and they still lived in Calgary. Yeah. And apparently she had to get like, uh, she had to get escorted like with security to go to school. Oh my day. god, it was that bad. Yeah. It, also, uh, in Alberta, they all thought like, oh yeah, this is a, this is like a home, like basically, like they thought like David Walsh was a hometown hero, right? So they were all rooting for them. And and that's where a lot of the money came from. And a lot of it came from Alberta, like just mom and oh, pop, so- just like trying to like make a good investment, right? Um, so yeah, obviously once that went down, they were like public enemy number one. Oh God. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, so what, what, what my friend told me about the daughter was that she smoked a lot of crack and she cheated on the guy that he was friends with, which <laughs> in this roundabout way which- is so like, so Brie X. It just it just checks in with the Briex. <laughs> Imagine like working for them as like a receptionist or something, just being involved with oh, all this dude. scandals and everything. Like God, I I just don't. How come like nobody got nobody got charged? Yeah. I mean, somebody got charged, but like nobody end up nobody end up got punished. I mean, yeah, like I. I you you would have to think that Michael De, De Guzman would have gotten charged. Oh, for sure. If yeah. he hadn't died, but but even then, like like I don't know. I I feel like John Felderhoff is just as uh just as guilty or complicit. And so is David Welsh. David Walsh. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. David like, Walsh. Yeah, yeah. It definitely also kind of hurts the mining industry going forward because people are going to be a lot i'm sure people after this were a lot less uh they're like they were a lot more careful with their investment and that sort of yeah. thing. yeah you don't know if that could happen again yeah well it's a really risky business like mm-hmm. you know when you're even <laughs> when your lead prospector isn't salting <laughs> all the, yeah all, all the samples but yeah like it it's a messed up industry. 
um, is dangerous. Like, it, I don't know, man. It, it costs a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, it definitely damaged the industry reputation for sure. Or at least just made it like, you know, if if, if we want significant investment, we need like the receipts to show that transparency. Yeah, yeah this is like yeah. we actually have this, other than just like some claim from some guy, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, that's about it, man. <laughs> Insane. Michael the Gooseman. Yeah. Is that the yeah, name? Yeah. Oh, jump! Oh, that that's crazy. That's that's nuts. That's, Dude, he, that's, I think he's got the same totally, complex. Totally, there's a conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, he's got like a mix complex of of both of your characters because, like, I feel like he is a compulsive liar and just is, you know, a rat. But um, at the same time, like, he was just so convinced with what he want or what he wanted and he was so desperate that he just made shit up mm. yeah how i felt about the uh like my my story the robert peary story it's like he made he told one lie and now he's like i have to tell another lie to cover that lie and has yeah to, like, yeah that. exactly yeah and just and spirals then, and then there's some point just like shit i'm like way too into this like way mm-hmm. too deep into this yeah and, and i just cannot not like i cannot expose myself anymore it's just not possible so like the guzman is probably doing the same thing and also probably a compulsive lie because freaking this like there's so much gold like this is crazy i don't know this whole thing just the amount of money involved i'm a bit just yeah yeah, honestly it's pretty crazy yeah it's insane and this kind of like um what's that guy's name uh the very famous scam, not Ponzi, but the other one, uh, Bernie Madoff. Oh, yeah, I I kind of wish that one of us did that because that's like one of the most well-known scams. Yeah, like the Black Death was the plague. Like Bernie Madoff is like the scam. <laughs> like, honestly, yeah, that that's true. But honestly, we could do an entire episode just on mining scams, even. In like in Canada, there's like some <laughs> controversial mines and that sort of thing. Like, yeah, there's just there's so many. Like, it's a really sketchy industry. But this one is one of the craziest ones yeah. that I've heard for sure. Like, I didn't know about this. So, shit. Yeah, I didn't. Know, uh, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I'll definitely look into that. There, oh, I'll send you some stuff. But there's just been some sketchy mines in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I didn't know. Like Bernie. Oh, Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff. Long story short, he basically like he's a legend. Well, he was a legendary investor, and then uh, he kind of like started a f- like a management funds, and it's like guarantee whatever percent re- return. So a lot of people, because he's like a legendary investor, right? So a lot of people, even the smart ones. That's why I asked if Lehman was in it or they were also uh, fooled by it. Yeah. Because like like despite what a lot of people say, though those Wall Street people do know what they're talking about. So they are smart. They're just slimy, but they're smart. Yeah. So like, a lot of smart and slimy people also got tricked by Bernie Madoff and just paid him a bunch of money. And then the thing is like, he can, like he he literally cooked up all the transaction and then pretend (sighs) to make a bunch of return. And so he would like pay his clients. His clients would be like, whoa, this is, this is great return. And like put more money into the, into, into his funds. And he's basically paying off his clients by using other clients' money. Like, he never did a single trade. Like, he just kept all the money. And I just put it in a big <laughs> jar, basically. And then, and then paid pay it off from the jar. And then, he, and then obviously, he skimmed off the top. And, and it's like, even the... And the thing is, literally, this would have continued to go on if it's not for uh, uh, 2008. Other recession, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah like yeah, if yeah. it's not for, if it's not for the recession, this would have just continued Dude, going. Dude, we could do a scam. Would... That, that could be that could have been one of the our scams. Oh, just the housing like, crisis. Yeah, the housing crash. crisis. <laughs> yeah, the housing crisis. Yeah, the entire literally, yeah. literally yeah, the, the biggest scam of all time. <laughs> yeah, what, what was that movie about the the big short? Oh, yeah, the yeah, big short. yeah. Really yeah. puts it into perspective of just how insane <laughs> that whole thing was. Yeah, so fucked. Yeah. All right. Uh, any closing thoughts? Never invest in a sketchy mining company. 
Yeah, never invest in a sketchy Arctic expedition. <laughs> no, I don't even know what to say for a big nail. Never become a compulsive uh, liar. Don't. Yeah, I was about to say that. Yeah. Don't trust people. Don't don't trust yeah, young people. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Don't don't let strangers into your house. Yeah, unless unless they're me and I like need a meal and a shower. That would be. But be only nice. you. If it, yeah, yeah, just me. Just me. Trust me. Don't, you've heard don't my trust voice. Anyone except for me? Yeah, you, you, like listeners, you've heard my voice, so you basically know me. So if I show up to your house in a van and. I'm really hungry. Please feed me. Yeah, please feed me and put me up. I'll I'll be really nice. Great guest. Okay, so we'll be back next All time. Right. See ya. Bye. See you.